0: So you're sitting there saying, well, is the guy going to say anything or is he just going to stand there? Uh, um, I'm very thankful for the privilege of being here at the Master's College. Fifteen years ago, I was in the position that some of you are in as I sat as a, a student in a college in London. We had all kinds of speakers and all kinds of chapel services, the great speakers, the not so great speakers and every kind of speaker. We had Billy Graham. We had Francis Schaefer we had the whole crew and I can remember sitting in the chapel services and benefiting greatly from so much of it and at that time I was keeping a five-year diary every night I wrote in my diary my reflections on the day and I remember making notes to myself lest ever I should have the opportunity to speak in a chapel service those of you who were at Grace Church last night we would note that I did the same thing in relation to ever speaking at the end of a of a service such as I did last night. And these are the notes that, that I decided um, I would take account of if ever I got a chance to speak as I now have this morning. First of all, I wrote to myself, don't try and make out that you're one of the gang because you're not. Okay. Secondly, don't try and impress them with your knowledge because you can't. Thirdly, don't try and be funny because you're not. And fourthly, be yourself, be clear, and be done before you lose them. So you can judge me against those four criteria which I've set up for myself. Seeking encouragement, I spoke to my friend and your president, John MacArthur. I said, what what do you think about this and what do you think about that? He said, I don't care what you speak on, you just better be good. The verse that, I, and I hear myself booming all over the place, like, um, so I don't know if you can de-boom me, but if you can, that, that will be, because I'm, you know, with the boom it's going to be even worse than without the boom. First Timothy chapter 4, First Timothy chapter 4, my theme for these three mornings that presupposes that after this morning I will be invited back on Wednesday and on Friday is taken from the 7th and 8th verse of Paul's first letter to Timothy have nothing to do with godless myths and old wife's tales rather train yourself to be godly for physical training is of some value but godliness has value for all things holding promise both for the present life and for the life to come Now, I have not chosen this subject arbitrarily. I'm sharing with you in this area on these three mornings, I would have a personal quest in my own life to discover what it means to be spiritually fit, which is really a 20th century translation of the word godliness. Indeed, J.B. Phillips' paraphrase of verse 8 goes like this, Uh, Or maybe it's the New English uh, Bible paraphrase. It goes, uh, physical fitness has a certain value, but spiritual fitness is essential both for this life and for the life to come. We are all painfully aware of the fact that physical fitness in and of itself has become a 20th century idol. Uh, you've never seen so many joggers you've never seen so much exercise equipment as I came on the plane I read all about cyber vision and how if I just watch these people doing these things it will program my, my brain and the neuromuscular control so that I will become an athlete um, just almost without trying so it also said it could do the same you can play golf like Jack Nicklaus if you're prepared to spend $69.95 and get the, uh, cassette, the cassette tapes um, that actually does interest me, but uh, I have a feeling that it may not work because I think Jack Nicholas knows a little bit more than uh, ever I do watching Cybervision. However, It's an indication of the narcissism which is present in 20th century culture. It's the me generation, what I look like. They'll try and tell you that they put mirrors in spas just so that you make sure that you have your back straight. Don't believe it for a moment. Those places are full of mirrors so that you can look at yourself and so that I can look at myself and say, my oh my. Well, actually I look at myself, I don't say my oh my. My wife says, my oh my. But some of you can look at yourselves and you see That things are in place the way you want them to be Now we don't need to veto that because that is a necessary emphasis If you take some of the spiritual giants who might have spoken at chapel 80 or 100 years ago Guys like Charles Haddon Spurgeon Spurgeon would have been standing about another 12 inches back from this podium Why? Because his stomach would have demanded that it was so Dwight L. Moody who was a giant was a giant, not only spiritually, but was a giant in terms of the proportions that he represented and it would seem that uh, it would seem that these kind of men not only became models for young men and women in terms of their spiritual stature but they seem to become models for pastoral ministry and some of you are thinking i wonder how you become an effective pastor well in the past one of the things you do is develop a platform which comes out just below just below your ribcage and it extends enough And you know that you've got it effectively created when you can balance a mug of coffee on it without spilling. And so, so many of the guys became so spiritually fit that they were a physical disaster area. Now we know that that can't be. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. However, the pendulum has swung again. Now you're looking for guys to add to your pastoral team and you you find them coming off the airplane and off the bus and everything and they are covered in Nike, they're covered in Reebok, they're covered in Adidas they're covered in everything and somewhere in there they might just have a New Testament along with them and you might be able to interest them in coming to the prayer meeting if of course they have managed to run five miles, lift weights, do aerobics and do all the things which are so vitally, vitally important now that is to overstate the case what in the world will it mean to be spiritually fit? How do you become one of those men or one of those women? W- the women? That's the question that consumed me as a young man and still to a great degree does. I want to be one of those people. I want to become the kind of person that is displayed in scripture as living a godly life. And that is the whole area of our concern over these mornings. This morning, I'm going to introduce the subject. On Wednesday, we'll take it a stage further. And on Friday, we'll finish it off, okay? And there is a structure to what I'm about to share. But since I'm not expounding scripture, you won't be able to follow it in the same way. And uh, I'll try and point out the pegs upon which I'm hanging my thoughts. Let me say two final things by way of introduction. First of all, godliness or spiritual fitness is not an optional extra. It is not something which we discover in the heroes of the past and in the fanatics of the present. Spiritual fitness is an obligation which is laid upon all who name the name of Jesus Christ. It is not like buying a car where you go into the Honda dealership and he shows you the various models and he says this is the basic model and then we have the DX model and then we have the LX model and then we have the LXI model. So depending on your interest and your availability of cash, you plumb for whichever one you choose. Now I ask myself the question, why is it that there seems to be such a dichotomy between desire and practice in the lives of so many who are supposedly following Jesus Christ? And I believe part of the answer is this, that godliness or spirituality or spiritual fitness has in certain circles been offered as the kind of X package in faith. So that you can have the basic version of Christianity, and if you want to become a one of these excessive people, then we can add for you the DX or the LXI dimension. Young people, let me say to you on the authority of God's word this morning, that is a total mythology. Confrontation with Jesus Christ is the Christian's test, and conformity to Jesus Christ is the only Christian standard. And it is for all who name his name. When you read your Bible, you discover that there were those who were spiritually flabby and died, and there were those who were spiritually fit and prospered. You can turn back in, for example, to Numbers, when 12 men went to spy in Canaan. And if you went to the same kind of Sunday school as I did, it went 10 were bad and 2 were goods. And you read Numbers 13 later on today and look at the havoc that was caused by ten who were spiritually flabby and the progress that was made by two who were spiritually fit. So that's the first thing. Spiritual fitness is an obligation, it's not an option. Secondly, spiritual fitness never comes as a result of simple passivity. I.e. being passive. Sitting in a chair and waiting for it to happen. Sitting back and trying to uh, rid myself of everything so that the more I let go and let go and let go, suddenly I will become a spiritually fit person. It is not so. The scriptures say it isn't so. Paul says to Timothy, I want you to train yourself to be godly. Or, again in a modern paraphrase, take time and trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. And any man or woman who became spiritually fit did so as a result of God's enabling. But God's enabling did not take place apart from the matter of personal responsibility. You just pause with me for a moment now, because that was the introduction. Let me just ask yourself this question. Am I spiritually fit? Second question. Am I more spiritually fit at the end of 87 than I was when 87 began? Okay, now we're going to move on. I want to speak to you about motivation. And the motivation of our heart is absolutely crucial. And it's important that when we think of this, we discover the right kind of motivational principles in our lives. Um, when God looked down on the scene of Goliath defying the armies of Israel, he looked down on a scene not only where his glory was dragged on the, the hillsides of Judea, but he looked on a scene where man in his wisdom could not find anybody big enough to fight Goliath. When in point of fact, God in his wisdom was looking for somebody small enough to be used. And some of us are so concerned to become big, so concerned to become known. So concerned to become what we want to become that will never be anything in the kingdom of God Because God has pledged himself never to share his glory with anyone else And he says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 66 This is the man or the woman because it's generic This is the man or the woman to whom I will look he who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at My word and on the day when we stand before Jesus Christ He will judge 1st Corinthians 4 5 the motives of our hearts he knows this morning why we're here he knows the real reason as no one else may know he knows whether we're guilty of skin deep devotion he knows whether there, we have a veneer which passes our friends and he knows whether we're dealing with reality Let me give you three motivating factors which I believe are false motives, insufficient motives for ever becoming spiritually fit. Not that they're totally wrong, there's a measure in each of them, but they are ultimately in themselves useless for us. First motive, which is insufficient in the quest for spiritual fitness, is the desire to be well thought of by everybody. If I become spiritually fit, then everybody will think I'm good. Everyone at the master's college will think I'm a very spiritually fit person. Therefore, I want to be spiritually fit. Insufficient motivation. Fail the test. Pack it up. It doesn't work. And while Paul wrote to Timothy and encouraged him that it was important to enjoy a good reputation amongst those who are outside of the faith, out of the lips of Christ and out of the example of the apostles comes the clear Teaching that those who will live godly lives for Christ Jesus will not be thought well of by everybody. Now, I've been in a school like this, and I know what happens. You get with a group of friends, and you settle for the lowest common denominator, potentially so. The lowest common denominator in relation to criticizing other students. If you have a critical heart, you get with critical people, and you criticize other people. You settle for the lowest common denominator in relation to the language which you tolerate amongst one another. You can settle for the lowest common denominator in terms of the devotion of your lives, in the sense of prayer, in your concern for God, in concern for world missions, even as we thought about it here. And it is possible to be completely short-circuited because we're more concerned about fitting in with the group than we are with fitting in with the purposes of God. And if we have more time this morning, and I'll just give you a little cross-references for your for your study on your own. You read Exodus chapter 32, and look there at the horrible mess that Aaron got himself into when he pleased the people. In contrast to the dynamic leadership of Moses, who was concerned to please God. Incidentally, you know that Moses had a wake, don't you? That he wore a wake? It says in the scriptures that sometimes he was seen with air on and sometimes he wasn't. It's okay. All right, that's fine. That's okay. That's all right. Sometimes air on. You see, you have to drop the H like in the English language. Hair on, air on. Forget it. That's all right. I just broke my first rule. Third rule, right? Don't try to be funny. Okay? You're not. Okay? Just reinforced it for myself. The person who tries to be well thought of by everyone is a chameleon. And we all know about kama, 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 chameleon, right? None of the faculty laughed, you know, because they don't know nothing about it. Okay? Chameleon Christianity is nowhere, nowhere at all. Okay, that's the first insufficient motive. A desire to be well thought of by everyone. Secondly, a sense of personal achievement or accomplishment. Now once again, the motivation is not exclusively wrong, it's just flawed. And when it's pushed to the extreme, it's wrong. For example, you say to somebody, Why do you get up at six o'clock in the morning and go running? Answer, because I feel so much better about myself. That's okay, you can do that, that's all right. But when we apply that to the Christian life, and why are you witnessing, and why are you in devotion to the scriptures, and why are you exhorting, encouraging one another? Answer, because I feel so good about myself. It's an insufficient motivation, because what we've done is we have short-circuited things once again, because we live for God and his glory, not me and my need. And just as I drove to the airport this last day, whenever it was, I was listening on the radio, and uh, they were were saying 15,000 coats for kids in Cleveland. Why not give a coat for a child in Cleveland? Because, here we go, the children in Cleveland need a coat. That's fine, that's okay. And uh, the, the, the children need to be warm, and that's okay. And then comes the little zip. And after all, if you do, you'll feel much better about yourself. I have a funny feeling that that will get more coats in Cleveland than any concern for children's welfare. Why? Because it scratches where our generation itches. Yes, I want to be spiritually fit because I will feel better about myself. Insufficient motivation number two. And insufficient motivation number three is the pressure to fit the framework of the Christian group in which I find myself. The pressure to fit the Christian group in which I find myself. Now you say, wait a minute, what are you saying here? Well, listen carefully and I'll tell you. There is a great danger in an outward routine that is devoid of reality. Not that there is anything wrong with the framework. Nothing at all. But the great danger of being a young person who has embraced a framework but doesn't have a friendship with Jesus. Who has embraced a way of life, a structure that is created around them, but you have no self-discipline of your own. I'll tell you how you'll know. As soon as you're taken out of the framework for a few days and you're on your own, you will reveal in those days what really drives you. You will reveal in those hours What really motivates you, you will reveal in the quietness of your own car, in the silence of your own room, in the freedom of your own leisure time, whether you are or you are not serious about spiritual fitness. It is easy to be kept buoyant on the spiritual life of those around us. Once that structure is removed, we shall What we're really dealing with in fact an earlier commentator says the externals that stand in the place of the consecrated heart are the delusions of the great deceiver It's a great quote An external frame Devoid of internal reality now Those are three insufficient motives. I want to move on now and give you what I believe to be four Genuine motives for living a life that is marked by spiritual fitness First of all, and I'll give you cross-references for each of these, um, and I'll speak only briefly about each one of them. First genuine motive, and these are picked somewhat arbitrarily. There are many, of course, and I just mentioned those that are uh, first and uppermost in my mind. Number one, a desire for personal acquaintance with Jesus Christ. A desire for a personal acquaintance with Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 The cry of the Apostle Paul, I want to know Christ. Do you want to know Jesus Christ? And the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of sharing his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. I remember still today someone coming and speaking on this very verse in college. And he had three points. Knowing the person, knowing the power, and knowing the passion. And when in our hearts we have that longing after Christ, to know him in our own lives, then we are putting our foot on the first rung of the ladder of living spiritually fit. You know, it's this that gives the test to all our songs. You know, we sing the song, The greatest thing in all my life is knowing you. And I sing that with my congregation. And I call them to prayer. And 1,200 sing, The greatest thing in all my life is knowing you. And 85% don't come and pray. Well, I don't know their hearts. But if our lives reveal what's in there, would be a strange relationship such as I had with this 13-year-old American girl if I didn't like to hear her speak, if I didn't know want to know what she liked, if I didn't want to understand her dreams, if I didn't want to share her time. If I didn't want ultimately to share her life, you would say, you've got no relationship at all. It's a figment of your imagination. You just have your, your photograph of her in your wallet and you like to show it off. It would be irrelevant to say, I know her if I didn't know her name and know the things about her. And yet it is possible for us to say, I know Jesus Christ and we know precious little. Do you know him? The hymn writer says, Oh, the sheer delight of a single hour which before thy throne I spend, when I kneel in prayer and with thee, my God, I commune as friend with friend. How long is it since you spent an hour in prayer? How long is it since you spent half an hour in prayer? How long is it since you spent 15 minutes praying? How long is it since you spent any more than five minutes in prayer? Genuine motivation, one, a desire to be personally and intimately acquainted with Jesus Christ. Secondly, to know the privilege of usefulness in serving Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 and following. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. What a tremendous picture is given to us there. That's a genuine desire. That's not wrong. That's a God-given sense of ambition. Lord, I would like to be used of you to speak, to sing, to pray. I'd like to be used of you to show someone the way. And today, as you look out on the future of your lives, which will come on you so quick, I'm 35, which means if I live to 70, I've lived over half my life now. As you prepare for careers in business, and maybe in sports, and in nursing, whatever it might be. I re-echo the words of Michael Griffiths to some of you. Give up your small ambitions and prepare to serve Jesus Christ. Prepare for spiritual fitness. What you are at 35 will just be an extension of what you are at 18, what you are at 25. And what you are today is the man or woman you're going to become. The kind of husband you're going to be to your wife. The kind of wife you're going to be. The kind of display that you will show of God's purpose in your life. As you live the single life perhaps. In fulfillment of his purposes. But here is a God ordained simple motivation. A desire not only to know him personally. But to serve him faithfully. And thirdly. That we might be motivated by the prospect of a rich welcome. I'm so glad I'm here this morning. I'm thrilled. Any place that's this good at soccer is a place I want to be. It's the only game I ever learned how to play. There's no way a wee guy like me could ever have played American football. I couldn't wrestle, I was too afraid, I couldn't swim, I might drown, but I was adequate at soccer, and I'm glad to be here today. And you gave these fellas a good welcome, and that was super. And I imagine that on their way home on the plane, they were thinking, hey, can't wait to see the group, can't wait to see what they think, can't wait to hold the banner up. And that's fine, and that's right, that sense of partnership. Well, do you know what? God is preparing a banner welcome for those who are living their lives to please Him. Did you know that? God is preparing an unbelievable welcome in the kingdom of heaven. You say, where did you get that one from? I'm going to tell you. From 2 Peter chapter 1 and the 11th verse. It's right in there. You can arrive in heaven as a shipwrecked sailor. That's what it says in Corinthians. Saved as through the fire... Just made it. Or you can make your entry in this way. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now that follows the exhortation of Peter to take embryonic faith and to add to it all the characteristics which are detailed from verse 5 and following. The picture that he uses is the picture that taken from his day. The returning Olympic athlete. When an Olympic athlete would return after a great success and triumph, they would not welcome him back into the town through any normal gate. But they broke down a new section of the wall and they garlanded it for his welcome. And in through this whole new gateway, the triumphant athlete came. And so Peter says, here is the picture of an entry into heaven, an abundant welcome into heaven. A whole new section, as it were, of the wall broken down for you as you have gone through your life adding to your faith. Are you with me then? To know Christ intimately, to serve him faithfully, to anticipate an abundant entry, and fourthly, motivated by the longing for divine approval. When I left Scotland as a boy at age of 15, the Sunday school that I went to gave me a Bible and they gave me 2 Timothy 2.15 written in the front of the Bible. I never realized how much it would become a verse for my life. I never realized then. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And if you've read of Jim Elliot at all, you remember that Jim Elliot, when he was at Wheaton College, in a similar context to some of you today, wrote in his diary that he was consumed to receive the degree AUG, approved unto God. Whatever else I become, whatever a success I may achieve, said Elliot, I want to know that I am approved unto God. That was what dictated his relationships with the opposite sex. That was what dictated his quest for physical fitness. That was what dictated his desire to pray over the world. That was what drove the fellow. And I ask you this morning, where will the Jim Elliots come out of the master's college? If Christ should not return, where will they be? You see, there's only, we know Eliot's name. He was with thousands of students. Why do we know? Because he stood out from the pack and he said, I will be spiritually fit. His friend said, take Elizabeth out. Go to the parties. full around. Elliot said, I can't and I won't. Why? Because I am consumed, motivated, driven, not by a law from the outside, but by a love from the inside. Oh, you love something. You don't need anybody giving you laws. You don't need somebody saying, "Now you will come and take my daughter out on Friday at 6 p.m. Hey, man, you love the girl. You're fighting her father off to get her out of there at 6 o'clock on a Friday. And you'll know whether your heart's motivated if you're in the drudgery of your own spiritual activity. Ask the Holy Spirit to apply it to your own heart. No athlete ever stood at the Olympics to the sound of his national anthem and to the flag going up above his head without what? Without that he had given himself unstintingly to prepare for that moment. Do you remember that celebrated film, Chariots of Fire? No? Of course you do. It won everything. Won everything. Six awards, didn't it? It's just proved you don't have to swear and do filth to make a great film. Do you remember the scene where Eric Little, as it's per- portrayed by Ian Charleston, is talking with his sister Jenny? And do you remember he came late for the Bible study, which he, was, which he was leading. So his sister, who was real pious and looked as though she was sucking on those things that you get with hamburgers here in America, those dill pickles, she, she given him a real bad time, you know. She gave him, take him out on the hillside. It's actually out on Arthur's Seat, which is just uh, uh, on the side of Holyrood Palace where the Queen stays when she comes to Scotland for, for a few weeks in the, in the summer. And she takes him out there and they're walking across there and she says to him, Now, Eric, she says, You're going to have to stop all this nonsense. He was playing rugby at an international level. He was an athlete of tremendous ability and she gave him a dichotomy which was false. Remember, she said to him, you are going to have to chuck all that athletics. Because remember, Eric, God made you for himself. Do you remember his reply? Aye, Jenny. He made me for himself. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure that's what i long for you folks i don't care if you're a computer analyst i don't care what you are but when you go out in out of the educational system into this world and into this life that whatever you do you're able to do it feeling the pleasure of god descend upon your lives i had 3 Brief Barriers to Spiritual Fitness, which since I am supposed to finish at 11.13, I will use as my introduction if I'm invited back on Wednesday morning. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to seeing you then.